0: There are many Christian virtues that follow faith, but only one virtue accompanies them all. Patience is the companion to all virtues. Patience is the command companion to all virtues. And so we're called to have faith, hope, and love as Christians. Faith with patience, hope with patience, love with patience. Matter of fact, all good things that we're commanded by God to do are to be done with patience. For prayer, for example, pray in patience. Patience is such an important, all-encompassing virtue. But today it's fast becoming a lost art in the age of instant, right? We have everything from instant coffee to instant bank loans. And we're losing a place to practice patience. We're running out of a place, a time to practice this patience. But there's one place where patience is front and center. In all things, there is a place where patience must endure and we must endure with long-suffering, and that place is Christianity. Christianity is no easy believism. This is not our best life now. If you want an easy life, it's C.S. Lewis who reminds us that if you want an easy life, then don't become a Christian. You become a Christian, the Lord will turn your life upside down, make it a mess. Christians suffer. Which might be hard for us to swallow in our day, in our day of the prosperity gospel, in our day of our culture and even the church today seeking such prosperity. It might be hard to swallow that the Christian suffers. It might be hard to accept suffering in light of the truth that God has said, or Paul has said in his God's Word, in his Word here in Romans 8, that there's no more condemnation. It might be hard to believe that those who have no more condemnation should suffer. We might be tempted to think that, well, because he is suffering, it must be that he is condemned. That's the secret evil of the prosperity gospel, right? If you don't have the prosperity, what's the answer? You haven't had enough faith, brother. You are in a place of condemnation. And so it is... The lack of faith that brings us into suffering. But is that true? Perhaps the answer is we suffer because of our faith. We might call to question whatever thoughts of suffering we have, we have to square them with Romans chapter 8, particularly verse 17. Our context this morning, Romans 8 verse 17, Paul writes, And if children, we are children of God, if we're children of God, then we're heirs. We're heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. There's the prosperity. But then he adds this parenthetical, provided we suffer with him. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Paul says here, glory is ours. Glory is ours today, provided that we go with the way of the Lord glory is ours, provided that we believe in Christ Jesus. Glory is ours because we are in Christ Jesus. Suffering is ours, then, because we are in Christ Jesus. You see, friends, humanity is wrong. By the power of the Holy Spirit, life is being righted. We call this sanctification, and the process of sanctification can be somewhat painful. We know that fire burns, right, children? You don't want to stick your hand on the hot plate? I learned that when I was a kid. I learned a valuable lesson. (laughs) My mom says, don't reach up there. She means it. It's interesting that God is often called a consuming fire. And when we read consuming fire, there is to be a level of understanding that fire burns. Fire hurts. Sanctification is quite painful often in its process. God is wiping out the dross, conforming us into the image of His Son. That's the work of of sanctification, to be conformed to the image of the Son, a suffering Son. God had one Son, that is true, and it was one not without suffering. As we are conformed to the image of that Son, that process of sanctification, that wonderful virtue, we are to have with that uh, process, that wonderful virtue of patience. And so there's a process of patience and the process of sanctification, a process that we endure the pain, we endure the suffering. And we do so because of the assurance of glory. That's the title of my sermon this morning. As we make our way through Romans 8, we've been looking at all these various assurances. This morning, we were looking at the assurance of glory. We see that beginning verse 18. For I consider, Paul says, that the sufferings of our present time, there's some important truth right there. The word consider is, also translated elsewhere, imputation. In imputation, if you're familiar with the doctrine of imputation, that's where we get the doctrine of justification. That God imputes, God grants to us this righteousness of Christ that we receive by faith. With the hand of faith, we reach out and we receive the imputed righteousness of Christ that becomes ours, we're justified. And by that same faith, we now reach out in our sanctification and receive suffering in this present time. I need Joel Olstein to read this verse. (laughs) For I consider the sufferings of this present time, present time, suffering time, not best life now, best life now time, suffering time. That's our, that's our now time. And we receive that by faith that we suffer now. Christians suffer. By faith we go to the way of our Lord. We go the way of our Lord. This life is incomplete. This mortality must be swallowed up in immortality. The curse of sin and death must be swallowed up in immortality. In this sanctification process, this work of God conforming us into the image of His Son, into the image of glory, it can be a painful work. But sanctification is God's work of conforming us into his Son, being prepared for eternal Sabbath, the eternal Sabbath. So in this present time, we suffer under the cross of sanctification. We suffer all adversity. But we suffer it, not for suffering's sake. We're not some kind of nihilists. Some kind of strange asceticism where we want to feel the pain. No, we suffer because of the hope of glory. Verse 18, for I consider the present time not worth. They're not worth, are not worth comparing. It's not even worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul says here the passing age that we belong to is worthless compared to the age of glory, compared to the future that is ours. Christian patience then is the assurance of glory. Christian patience is the assurance of seeing our present time viewing our present time and our visible trouble in light of the future and an invisible glory. <laughs> Paul says elsewhere, 2 Corinthians four seventeen. he says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We all wonder what the new heavens and earth will be like, right? I know you have those moments, right? Will we drive in heaven? Where will I live in heaven? Am I gonna live in Montana? Will there be a better place? Or maybe I'll have a summer home? (laughs) Where will my kids be? My wife, you know? Will I be married in heaven? All these questions about heaven. For some of us, the really important question is, will I eat elk in heaven? Which really is this, What's what's really the question? (laughs) Will I go hunting in heaven? I I can't leave you ladies out. Maybe, will I go to the mall? Will there be shopping in heaven? Or maybe, if you're good Montana women, like, will I never have to go to the mall? (laughs) We wonder. We wonder. What will heaven be like? But we really cannot fathom. I guess that's why we wonder. But we do know this. We wonder and we them because we know this age is worthless. It's worthless and we know this truth. It's worthless compared to the age to come. And so we can endure. We know there's something greater to those who wait. The still waters and green pastures of the age to come far outweigh this valley of the age of the shadow of death. And so our future is bright. And so we can wait As we suffer in this present time. And this patience of which we're speaking of is also, Paul says, interestingly enough, a virtue of creation. He kind of personifies creation here. Verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation here is all that God has created besides man. Creation here really is the first six and a half days of Genesis chapter 1. All that God made, creation, like good. And it was good. Good, but not complete. We're shown that it's not complete because there's day seven, where God enters rest and the completion of creation, the completion of this good world, to rest with God. With God is key to enter into the eternal blessedness of Sabbath. And so this longing that we see here in creation, it is the longing of Sabbath. It is the longing of life to be fulfilled for there be a, a completion, the completion of Genesis 1. But we also know in Genesis 1 and 2, God created His image bearer. Man who was to follow His Lord, to follow the King of Glory, to follow the Divine Worker, the Alpha Creator who made it all, who became the Omega Rester. Adam was to work and to enter into this, this rest and to bring with Him the train of His Kingdom, creation in that rest. But we know that He sinned. And He's brought only futility in this Sabbath eternal longing Creation longs to be complete. Rather than follow God unto eternal blessedness, Adam lost and corrupted the earth. He corrupted the good earth, verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly. Not willingly. Creation didn't go willingly into the night. Therefore, creation's not at fault. Paul's basically saying here, it's not creation's fault. And there's an interesting truth here. Creation is not at fault. Creation is good. We confess that creation is good. And therefore, we're called as Christians to continue that, that cultural demand to exercise and have dominion over it. That's also given to us in the covenant of common grace with Noah after the flood. Mankind is to be stewards of this good creation. And we can enjoy, rightfully enjoy creation. We must be content with it even patient with creation. But we also recognize that creation is fallen. It is, futi- it is in futility. It's fallen in futility. And so we're called to be patient with the futility. You see, friends, life is simultaneously tragic and joyful. It's not complete. It's incomplete. And creation now longs to be what God intended it to be holy. The earth in its fullness is not full of the glory of God, and so it's subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Who subjected it? Well, it's not as many say. Some commentators say, well, this subjection must be Adam, right? Adam failed, and he subjected uh, creation to fertility." Others say it's the serpent who subjected Uh, creation to futility. But let me ask you this. Who spoke the stipulations and the commandments in the garden? Do this, don't do that. And who gave the promises? If you do this, this, you know, everlasting life. If you don't do that, right, everlasting death. Who's king of kings and who's lord of lords? Who's subjected here is God. And because of that, Paul can write in hope. This is a commentary on Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And what happens right after the fall? After the fall, right after the fall, God comes into the scene with grace. That's the hope here. The fall, but grace. Sin, but grace. There is the curse, there is also grace. And you should hear this hope of the head crusher. Children, This is the one to come to crush the head of the serpent. God promises in Genesis 3 a, another offspring, another Adam to come to destroy sin and death. To be obedient, to enter into that eternal Sabbath, that everlasting paradise, to regain paradise. Verse 21, that the creation itself will be set free. To free creation from its bondage to corruption and to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You see, Christ leads the captives free. Not only the sons of God, but all creation. This freedom is the fulfillment of the eternal Sabbath. It is the fulfillment of the covenant of works. I think most don't understand the subjugation here being God because they don't understand covenant theology. Here's where the Reformed faith can help us in exegesis of a text, a particular text in light of the whole. You see, Christ fulfilled the covenant of works. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross for all of creation, that all of creation, Paul says in Philippians, might bow the knee to the Lord, to the King of kings and Lord of lords, all of creation on heaven, under heaven, and beneath, or above, and beneath, basically everything. <laughs> That's the gospel time. The gospel time is future, and it's glorious. And God will, Christ, God and Christ, Christ We'll be king of kings and lord of lords, and the whole earth will bow its knee. That's gospel time, a future time. There's gospel time. It's a now time. Even right now is our time. The blessings of the gospel. No more condemnation. No more separation. Justification is our time. The moment you believe, that moment in time, you are right with God now and forever. It's a spiritual truth, a spiritual reality. And that spiritual reality affects our present time in suffering, a time of sanctification, a gospel time of sanctification. The gospel is currently sanctifying us and making us righteous. So it's not only true of God's word that we're justified, but it is a truth of sanctification that we're more and more increasingly becoming righteous. But that future time, that gospel future time, is the hope that we find in our text this morning, glory. And that time is end time. That's the physical fulfillment of all these spiritual truths. The physical fulfillment of all these spiritual truths that we have in Christ. The promised glory of the new heavens and new earth. No more adversity, but only unspeakable joy. It is all good things, but the best thing. You see, the true hope of glory. It's not wondering, you know, will I live in Montana? Will I drive a car and eat elk and so forth? But the true hope of glory is to be forever. With Christ, with Christ is key. And this is creation's longing, verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. This is the text where I was like, well, maybe I should stop here and let a woman exegete the text. (laughs) Here's where a woman needs to speak, but you know, I've been there. I mean, I've seen it, I know women. I don't know, but I know. Kind of know, but not really. Um, but the groaning here speaks of that moral and physical infirmities that are in life. That time between justification and sanctification. And here, since the fall, Paul says, the earth has been groaning in child pains, childbirth pains. But it endures like a mother who endures the point. Who can endure. You mothers, you endure the suffering. You endure the pain. You can make it through. Make it through because of that hope that you will look into your eyes of the child, you know, that child you've been carrying for those nine months. You can look into the eyes of that child, and, and you'll see that in that moment the pain goes away. But you can endure. The point is you can endure that suffering. Maybe I should say something about active birth, so my wife would be proud of me. You can endure that active birth, that painful, that hardest time of, of pregnancy. Because you know at any moment, it's short, and you know at any moment that child will come and you'll look into your baby's eyes. And so creation is long-suffering. Long-suffering to look into her Savior's eyes. And here the revelation of the sons of God, that is the resurrection, that is when we are called up to be with Christ in the air and to return with Christ in glory. And when we are called in resurrection to meet our Lord, there will be a symphony of sighs from all of creation, finally. (laughs) So we too now long with the Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come. And we long with patience for the end of sorrow, death, and trouble, verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves. You see, we long with the Maranatha because of the Holy Spirit. We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly. We groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for adoption as sons. You see, the work of the Holy Spirit is our salvation, beginning with justification and sanctification, and finally its conclusion at the consummation of all things. And that's the consummation is what we long for, that glory already justified, already being sanctified, but we want the not yet glory. Speaking of birth, when my wife was pregnant with our first child, I jokingly thought and said to my friends you know the Lord can come you know the Lord can come in any moment but you know I really want him to wait until I can meet my first child you know I've been waiting these nine months Uh, if only you know he can wait I've always been like that in my Christian life though I think that says something about me Um, I need to repent maybe I don't know but you know I've been going through college if only the Lord will wait till I get that diploma (laughs) If only the Lord will wait till I make it through seminary and so forth only if I can wait until I have that first child but in reality We want inwardly to be with the Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. Perhaps those jokings are because of the joy of this age, but there's always that tragedy there that will always remind me, no, Lord, come. Lord, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And it's an eschatological longing. And that is the first fruits of glory, that longing. We know glory is here because we have that longing for glory. And the Holy Spirit is uniting the already with the not yet. Already in Christ, we're free. We are free. We have redemption already. Free from sin's penalty. Free from sin's power. No more condemnation. If you believe in Christ already, no more condemnation. Freedom. Already if you believe in Christ, you are children of God. No more separated from His love. And nothing can separate you. And we're going to see that later on in Romans 8, that nothing in all of creation can separate you from the love of God. That's your truth. Already we have a foretaste of the age to come. Already we have a foretaste of, of that eschatological marriage supper of the Lamb. We come to a holy table and we receive that foretaste. Already Christ with us through word and sacraments. Already the church, the body of Christ, here with our Father in Heaven. But all these are received by faith. All these we see and receive with the, with the hands and mouth of faith. And, 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 and that longing is somewhat satisfied here at the table in our baptism, in church membership, church discipline, all these things. But we still have that longing to truly sit, to long. One day we're going to sit in that true chair, that true table, and have that marriage supper of the Lamb, and we will see Christ, and we will be like Him as He is. Our longing is to worship with the fullness of the church in victory, where we'll sing psalms in glory, with the church triumphant, led with the cherubs (laughs) around the throne of heaven. And if they're reformed to right with the RPW, we'll only be singing psalms, probably. I had to say that for my RPCNA friends if they're ever listening. I don't know if they're listening, but I just gained some great street cred with those guys. Jesus says in John 16, verse 20 and following, You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is in travail, she has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she is delivered of the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a child is born into this world. So you have a sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice. No one will ever take that joy from you. This joy is our longing. We have a heavenly longing. You've heard that expression, he's so heavenly minded, he's of no earthly good? Right? Well, no. You got a lot of earthly good still to do. <laughs> but we do have a heavenly minded that allows us to do earthly good. Maybe that's the expression. But we also have the frustration of failure and adversity and pain and death. And so with joy, we thank God in the adversity. And in the adversity, we're patient. In the adversity, we patiently wait for glory, for death to to be no more, for there no longer to be sin or trouble or trial, that we will be like him And the companion of patience is hope. It is hope in the resurrection, verse 23. And not only creation, but we ourselves have the first fruits who groan inwardly as we eagerly await adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. That's the great hope of Christianity, verse 24. For in this hope we are saved. That's resurrection, resurrection hope. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? Though with the eyes of hope, we long for salvation's completion, we long for the glory. And so patience needs hope. Hope needs patience. Verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Hope is the virtue of earth. Hope is the virtue of earth, but its object is in heaven. 2 Corinthians 4.18, Paul says, As we look not to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Hope is on earth an exercise of eternity. It is the assurance of glory that Christ has earned everlasting rest. And though it is not consummated, it is our reality. It's as good as yours so find patience, so find patience in the glory, no more pain, no more condemnation, no more separation, and only life eternal. That is the hope that we need to endure this sad age to the better end. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.